Hey, we're back with another episode of the Friday Chillout podcast, and this week we'll talk about new data proving that the Google Pixel 7 Pro is secretly a Samsung phone, and also about Google employees complaining about their company becoming slow and cumbersome. Welcome. This podcast is 100% funded by Nebula subscribers who also get the podcast a day early and with optional video as well. If you'd like to support the show and get early access on top, go to nebula.tv slash chillout. Hey there, taping this Friday chill out at 1 p.m. or thereabouts on Friday, uh, Berlin time. Uh, I'm Tristan, your co-host and writer researcher guy for the Friday checkout. And you're Martin. Hi, Martin. Hello, I'm Martin. I'm extremely chilled out. <laughs> you probably know me from Tech Altar, the Friday checkout and this very podcast. How are you doing, Tristan? Yeah, no, I'm good, actually. I've, I've recovered from a cold. I think I sound a little bit better. So uh, Yeah, you sound fine. <laughs> we're, we're, we're back underway. We're back, we're nice. back in full swing. Nice. Um, and we are in full swing for another fun week across tech. Um, let's get straight into it, Martin. Uh, last week, we talked about the Oppo Find N2 Flip, uh, and now it's actually been released. Uh, reviews are out already. Uh, probably the, the, the one thing we, we didn't talk about last week because we didn't know was price. Um, so it was announced at this London event, which we didn't go to. Um, for nobody eight- invited us. <laughs> so evil. And nobody will send us review units. Even the US people got invited, mind you, who also don't get this phone, but because they're not li- literally legally barred from having it, they were invited and we, we just we just ghosted. <laughs> I know I know all the people from Oppo VR and they're all just like smiling awkwardly at me and not talking to me. It's really <laughs> cruel. I want this phone. Yeah, yeah, brutal, brutal stuff. If you want the phone, that's brutal. Uh, yeah. It's fair enough if it's some other Oppo that we don't want, but no, this, yeah. <laughs> So, um, Martin, pricing eight eight hundred and forty nine pounds was the was the sort of British price. Uh, that converts to about a thousand and twenty five freedom dollars, uh, and I, I think I saw uh, one thousand and ninety nine uh, euros in France and Portugal. Obviously, we don't have German pricing, uh, and a little bit less in Spain. So, uh, how how's that pricing go for you before we move into some of the review uh, topics? Yeah, so I think it's okay. Uh, Oppo doesn't price their stuff cheap. That's uh, and this is, I think, for them, this is a representative flagship device. They they want this to build their brand as a premium manufacturer as much as they want to actually have it like move units. So I understand why they wouldn't go lower than that. Um, they don't want to uh, position themselves as like the budget alternative to Samsung. They want to kind of like come into the market and say like, hey we are also a high-end maker and this is the best that we can do. And so from that perspective, it's fair. I think it's somewhat competitive with Samsung. As I said, I think hardware-wise, it's more interesting than the Samsung offering. Of course, it's newer, so it's going to be more interesting, but it's. It, I think there's some genuinely good ideas. Um, but yeah, the, if, if people are hoping for this to be like way less than the Samsung, this is not it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a very exciting device. Um, and I hope that the big brother will eventually come to Europe as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's all pretty well said. Uh, so because we'll talk about reviews from other places today for it because we can't review it. We we, we won't get it in person. Uh, so places like Android Authority already reviewed it. Said so it's like the best made clamshell, just missing a few final things that make a, a good phone a great phone in terms of limited waterproofing, some older Gorilla Glass, lackluster ultra-wide camera slightly older chipset all these little tiny things that do add up uh but i think if you bought the phone and you and you know you like that that form factor you'd be pretty happy 
Um, uh, yeah, plus th- these are things that like you can't really complain about because there's no competitor who offers anything better. So like, whatever. <laughs> like Samsung's Ultrawide is also kind of meh. Uh, I mean, they have waterproofing, so that's that's uh, that's a big benefit. But well, this is this is the limitation of reviews. You have to be able to say, oh, well, A versus B it equals this. So that yeah. means this. Yeah, it's 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 sort of a natural problem with pro- uh, when you have a review that you have to put out pros and cons for. Um, yeah. Uh, and speaking of reviews, just as a vibe check, we'll move on to uh, the OnePlus 11, which we also won't get. Um, yeah, I, Same I th- reason, yeah. just as evil. <laughs> yeah. I think this one's pretty easy. Um, the reviews were like, oh, this is a, this is an okay phone. The problem is it fits in a bit of a funny spot because its cameras are going a little bit funky and the Pixel 7 is 200 bucks cheaper and the Pixel 7 Pro is 50 bucks more. And that's not accounting for sales. Um Look, do you want to say anything on that? Because I, I want to move on to the very next point, which is uh, speaking of the Pixel something else. So uh, anything on the OnePlus 11? I think, I think it's fine. Like, I think there's there's definitely a user who cares more about performance and like having the best display and the, the, the best processor and the fastest RAM and whatever, then, then they care about the camera. And it's okay for that user to have a phone that, that focuses on that more than anything else. I think OnePlus did that in the past. I don't know if that user base is huge. I don't know if that's a good user base for them to focus on as a, as a company, but but that user definitely exists. And I think that phone is probably a good phone for them. So I think I think it's fine. Yeah, I think if you if you really want a OnePlus 11, uh, you really want a OnePlus phone, then the 11's probably good enough for you. Yeah. It, it's, not, it's not falling over. Battery life is good. Uh, you know, a lot of those little things uh, seem completely fine. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a seven, I'm a Pixel Seven Pro owner. Um, couldn't be could be more pleased with how how it's going. So uh, let let's jump across to the Pixel because our Counterpoint had some data that we wanted to talk about, uh, which is on just how much of the Pixel is made by Samsung, specifically uh, the Seven Pro. That is, so the phone that you that you own, which means that you actually actually technically own a Samsung phone, <laughs> even yeah. though there's a Google logo on it. So you you actually looked at a little bit at this more than me. Do you just want to run through sort of uh, where where this revenue is coming from from Samsung and, and sort of the percentage wise? Because it's almost the, the Pixel's almost making more money for Samsung than the than like a Samsung phone itself, especially if that Samsung phone using a Qualcomm processor. So uh, take us through it if you can. Yeah. So uh, Counterpoint put out a new. Uh, it's called the Bomb Cost Analysis. Um, so Bomb Cost is bill of materials. Uh, basically, you make a product, uh, you have all the costs of creating that product, which is primarily the components and the manufacturing. Um, and then that uh, cost for the Pixel 7 Pro is, I think, $413. And of that $413, which is pretty high, by the way, like it means that the Pixel is very aggressive with pricing this product, because $413 for a phone that they sell for like, what is it, like 800 or even less? I think that's fairly aggressive as far as phones go. Um, uh, but anyway, so of those $413, 51% go to Samsung and Samsung is by far the largest contributor to this device in terms of components. Um, they essentially provide every major component for it, except for the battery, which is, uh, made by a Chinese company called ATL. Um, 
and uh, surprisingly, the the flash storage, so the 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 the, the ROM. Uh, but every other major component is made by Samsung for this, um, at least to some degree. So the the OLED display, completely from Samsung. Um, the Tensor G2 chip um, is made, is both designed by Samsung LSI, which is the part of Samsung that designs Exynos, for example, and is also manufactured by Samsung Foundry. Um, the Most of the wireless components, specifically around 5G, come from Samsung, uh, probably also from their Exynos and Samsung LSI business unit. Um, most of the camera sensors, uh, including the main camera sensor, the ISOCELL GN1, as well as the uh, periscope camera sensor and the selfie camera sensor as well. Those all come from Samsung. Uh, the RAM on all of the high-end models, at least the 12 gig models, comes from Samsung. The others have uh, the lower-end models come from uh, Micron. And even some other random components like power management, uh, a circuitry, and so on. So it's basically, again, other than the battery, the phone, as it's like, it's, you know, Google went to Samsung and was like, could you give us a phone? And Samsung was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Would you like us to customize something about it for you? And they're like, okay, yeah. And so I have a theory about this, but I'm specifically at, uh, in talks with Counterpoint for them to give me more data. And if they do, and it's and if it's a lot of data, then I might actually do like a whole separate video about this. But so my theory is that uh, you can see this switch over to Samsung starting with the um, 6 series and then again in the 7 series. And so this is a bit of a conspiracy theory. I don't know if this is true, but this is just, uh, <laughs> this is how I imagine it went. So um, the 6 is when Google brought out the their own Tensor chip. And uh, making a chip is a really hard thing, especially uh, like a full mobile SoC. Uh, a lot of companies have tried. Uh, I think LG has tried, Xiaomi has tried. We know that Oppo is working up to it over many, many years. Um, I think the only ones that have uh, actually succeeded on the Android side are Samsung and Huawei in the past. It's, uh, it seems trivial, but it's it's in the end <laughs> actually quite quite complicated to get every part of the thing, including the, the, the wireless modems and all the wireless systems, uh, the CPU, the GPU, etc. So I think in order to be able to make the Tensor chip, Google decided that, you know what, uh, we're not going to do this ourselves completely, at least not in the beginning. We're going to take somebody else's chip who's willing to sell it to us, who has a complete solution, who's willing to share that complete solution with us, and is also willing to manufacture it um, efficiently. And we're going to take that. The only option for that is Samsung, because Qualcomm is not sharing, MediaTek is not sharing, Huawei is not sharing. Samsung was like, okay, we can we can work together. And so Google took that and said, okay, we're going to take this as a base, uh, and we'll customize it. Uh, we'll specifically tweak certain parts of it that are important to us, uh, especially around AI and whatever else they want to do, like neuroprocessing units and whatever. So so it fits their uh, specific needs and cameras and whatever, but it's essentially a Samsung component. And we did see that, right? So we saw, especially, I, I remember this more for the for the original Tensor that um, people were doing boot logs and whatever, and it was basically saying, hey, I'm a Samsung Exynos processor yep. <laughs> device. Yep. Uh, and it just added some googly components and uh, some other bits and pieces, but uh, essentially it has an Exynos chip. 
yeah, it's done okay. It hasn't suffered any of the same sort of uh, negative connotations of an Exynos chip. Um, because it's not priced like one, right? I think the reason why the Exynos chip, this is like a f almost flagship Exynos chip. And, and the reason it was uh, perceived negatively in the, the Galaxy S series is because you have a version of the S series that's better and a version that's worse, and they both price the same. Or actually, typically they're even priced worse in Europe than they're priced in the US. So that feels like a slap in the face. But this is this is an inferior product to a Snapdragon chip, even in, in Google's phones. But it doesn't matter because you can buy one for like 600 bucks. And so and there is no direct comparison. So um, it's fine. I mean, the Exynos chips have, uh, the, the Tensor chips have had their own problems, right? They had like battery no, problems have, at the beginning yeah. and I did, I didn't wireless mean to that. Yep. issues as well. In the so like they have all the same problems that Exynos chips have. It's just, um, yeah. So so my theory is that in order to get Samsung to give them this like long-term support, and I and I even expect that the, the, the idea here is to eventually transition to Google doing more and more of this in-house. This is just a guess. We also don't know if this is true. But my guess is that eventually Google will want to like take over bigger and bigger chunks of the design for themselves, customize more, have more of their own in-house talent uh, for this. Uh, but, but that's a long process. And in order for Samsung to play nice with all of this, and by the way, I think also partially as like a sorry for taking your market share <laughs> especially in the US on the high end <laughs> which is like you know like Samsung is Google's like Android champion in the premium and especially in the US so um so they're definitely uh taking their market share i think i think as an exchange as a as a gesture of goodwill or some formal agreement or whatever else we want to call it um i think there's an agreement that hey uh we'll use your tech in exchange, we'll, we'll build a bunch of your components into a phone. And I want to add that I think since they've done it, their sales have done a lot better because Samsung knows how to make good phones. Like Samsung, I think one one thing wait, is wait, that... Wait, you're, you're saying Google's uh, sales yeah, Google's, have done a little bit? Yeah, exactly. yeah, right, yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. yeah I'm, I'm, uh, uh, that's what I meant. So, so uh, the Pixel 6 and the 7 have both done particularly well. I think in part because Samsung essentially made those phones. And they're, they're good phones. So that's, that's my whole conspiracy theory. What do you think about it? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, is it conspiracy or is it just, just that uh, essentially, you know, like a lot of phones out there are using Samsung components, um, especially the OLED screen and uh, camera sensors. So you bundle those two things, that's at least... A, you know, a double digit percentage of of, of the overall costs um the 5g uh obviously that's using um samsung modem versus a qualcomm modem um which was a problem in the pixel 6 but it's fixed in the pixel 7 um through an updated modem uh and then yeah i, I guess i guess they could shop around for for more sony sensors or they could shop around for other bits and pieces but it just just kind of makes sense that that uh samsung can reach into their storage cupboard and bring out some of their components um and that they're actually you know leading edge so yeah there probably is a little bit of back and forth on on uh on uh, I, I just still don't want to say conspiracy but a good deal or some sort of uh situation where they they're providing something even you know they're good enough or or equal best so google isn't yep. losing by using them 
Yeah, yeah. The conspiracy theory, I think, is a bit of a big word. <laughs> but but what, what I meant to say is that I think there is more of a complete background agreement between these two companies that, like, hey, let's do this together. And then I think a part of that is a significant focus on also using other Samsung components, so that the okay. part of the way that this deal makes sense for Samsung is that Google commits to using many Samsung components, many components. Not, yeah, just, yeah. not just the one that they specifically need. Because no, you're right, you're right that, that you know, like for yeah. the 5G stuff, they have to yeah. use whatever comes with Exynos for the most part. Yeah, uh, you could technically bolt on a an Exynos, like a Qualcomm modem, but like whatever. But like you could, you can buy uh, like a BOE screen uh, for, for your for your phone, or you could buy RAM from somebody else. You could yeah. buy yeah. So like, uh, you could buy Sony sensors. Like those are or Omnivision whatever sensors. So like the alternatives exist. So it's not like it's not like this is like some grand conspiracy. But I, <laughs> yeah, I just think there was a there was a, an agreement. Is my is my feeling? That's okay. what I'd say. Okay, no, that's fair. Um, and just to cover off, so when you were listing all those components, I was like, how is this only 51%? But if you if you look at this nice little graphic that um, that uh, Counterpoint put out there, you do see where some of the other players are, are sort of um, involved. And it, it's actually all these it's all these great semiconductor companies like uh, SD Microsystems and Skyworks and SK Hynix, Sony, analog devices. And, and a lot of it's power management, a lot of it's... Um, uh, like the wireless charging components, quick charging ICs. Um, they did say Micron is providing some of the um, 12 gig LPDDR5 RAM. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's still some out there for, for everyone else. Some of those components are obviously quite expensive. Um, but yep. uh, I, yeah, when you say that, I was like, is Counterpoint estimated at 50% too low? But that makes sense. Um, so, uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, and we're going to still keep talking Google because there was a this week we, we had one of those spicy situations where the ex-Googlers uh, leave Google and then immediately shit on Google and everyone loves this everyone, there's, a, there's a real appetite for this because it's like oh yeah tell us what's, tell us what's happening on the inside um, and this time around it was from someone I didn't know before called Praveen Shastri who used to work at Microsoft and then founded AppSheet in 2014 which is kind of like a no-code um, uh, setup. That got acquired in 2020, and then Shasadri left at the moment his three-year mandatory retention period was up, according to him. And why? He says Google is quote uh, he put out he put out the Medium post, so I'm just quoting from that. Uh, he said it's trapped in a maze of approvals and launch processes, legal reviews, performance reviews, exec reviews, and other bureaucratic stuff. And while the employees are capable, there's a lot of smart people there. They get very little done quarter over quarter, and Part of that is because he says there's no mission or urgency and he sort of focuses in on the fact that few Googlers go to work thinking about users or customers, but thinking about like how their role in Google serves Google. So he gave examples like I'm responsible for reviewing privacy design or, you know, you look after some technology. Like I keep such and such system working, which serves managers and other employees, but doesn't necessarily take Google forward in any meaningful way for, for you, for those users. Um, so Martin, like I mean, not a really a new set of complaints, and I I'm interested to know what you think because I don't know if this is necessarily such. Uh, this isn't the, like the knife in the back of Google. This is just kind of like saying Google's ad machine makes so much money that you have to keep servicing it, and un that takes a lot of people. And then founders who come into Google, they think, oh, sh you know, I can't ship the stuff I want. 
because I'm trapped in all this paperwork and the winding roads of process and everything. Uh, but that's not what Google is anymore. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm sure Google can be better. I'm absolutely sure of it. And the AI thing that we've talked about before is, is part of that. But uh, it doesn't necessarily read to me like, wow, Google's going down the drain uh, based on that. What do you think? No, I don't. I don't think either. I mean, look, I think any company that becomes large enough eventually has this problem. Um, and I think it takes significantly significant management effort to like reboot a company uh, and to to drag it out of this. But it, it's understandable, right? Because once you grow big enough and you have a business that's so massive, it becomes more important to make sure that that business stays massive and that it doesn't go down the drain. You want to minimize risks. You want to establish processes, etc. All of that is way more important than like new innovation. Right. Like the the thing you can lose is way bigger than the thing that you can gain. Right. So the incentive structure changes, and it's preservation <laughs> rather than and like slow iterative growth. It, it, rather than you know like what if we did something insane? <laughs> right. Right. Like, and that's where and acquisitions think, come in, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's that's how they grow partially because they can afford to acquire. But then on the other side, uh, uh, that's also how acquisitions, uh, if you're getting acquired, it must feel really weird because you come from the startup environment where you're used to being able to move fast. And like the whole point of being a startup is that you can just like pivot from A to B uh, within a week. And <laughs> you know, people are like, okay, fine, we're building something completely different now. <laughs> but like, that's not how anything works in a, in a large corporation. And while I do think that like losing agility is a significant problem and it's something that all the large corporations fight against, um, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I don't think this is like that that uh, uh, terrifying. Also, uh, I wanted to point out that Google right now, I think, is basically where Microsoft was back when they were in maybe the beginning of their big, deep antitrust uh, uh, fight with the government. Uh -huh. And uh, we've seen Microsoft go through that. We've seen other companies like IBM go through that. And I think we're now seeing basically Google go through that as well, which is that you've built this incredibly successful world-changing business that prints money, that the government decides, <laughs> now it's time for some scrutiny. And it doesn't even necessarily have to uh, result in like you losing some massive case and then like your company getting some crazy restructuring or you know, everybody getting fired. Like, yeah. like the, the court doesn't even have to win. The fact that uh, the management will now have to spend the next X years thinking consistently and all the time about like, oh my God, if we, if we um, want to react to I don't know, chat GPT or Bing in an aggressive way, will will the government say that's anti-competitive and, and screw us because of that? If we launch a new product that's bundled with X, Y, and Z, will the government sue us for that? Yeah, will they start is, a new lawsuit? This is where they start email, emailing each other in very formal tones because they know that their email is eventually going to be read in court in 10 years' exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> Literally, whatever you do, might be used against you in court like within the next year or two so like of course of course that changes a lot 
And of course, that means that everything has to be reviewed by management and legal because like literally it should get reviewed by management and legal because if you do something dumb or if you do something daring and bold, which is what it would be for their startup, but it's it's something dumb for a, for a large corporation, then like you'll be in court and and uh, it's just not worth it. So a killing innovation is, is a better strategy in this uh, situation than being innovative uh, in a lot of cases. That is a grim reality. Uh, okay, let's get to one more topic before we hit the mailbag. Uh, and let's only let's just touch on this. Uh, basically, Martin, I want to know what you thought of that amazing report out of Platformer, uh, which uh, came after the Super Bowl, where uh, somehow Elon Musk's cousin, James Musk, pinged Twitter engineers at 2.30 in the morning but on Slack, demanding with considerable urgency that they try and make Musk's, as in, Daddy Musk, Elon Musk's uh, tweets be seen by more people, uh, seemingly because President Biden's tweets um, uh, got more traction and got more impressions than than Elon's, uh, which caused a, a big, big lot of trouble. A bunch of stuff had to be made, constructed to to make um, Elon Musk's tweets appear more, and then everyone's for you uh, uh, feed in Twitter was full of his tweets, which no one necessarily wanted. So. Uh, what did you, what did you think of that? It was quite an extraordinary report. They they even like showed his tweets to people who had him blocked, which is just amazing. <laughs> just <laughs> screw it. <laughs> Twitter is just Elon's blog now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, well, if I if if I owned it, I I would feel the right to to do stuff that I wanted. You uh, do. But, you do have the right for it. Yeah. But uh, you have to know that you should be unpopular if you make yeah. unpopular decisions. That's just how it goes. I mean, like, talk of a company where, you know, like, under changing circumstances, the the priorities of, of the company changes. Like, it went yeah, from, right, like, right, right. like figuring out uh, whatever is best for Twitter's users or advertisers to just figuring out whatever the hell Elon wants and just doing that. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> Twitter wants, but Elon wants more reach. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Now it's reach. Yep. It's a, yeah, he's got the megaphone turned up to full. Um, That's just, I don't know. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm happy. Like, I'm, I'm almost like unwilling to give him any more airtime on the Friday checkout or tech out there. Because I, I feel like, oh, this just this story is just so silly at this point that I, I can't even. Uh, but it just it just keeps giving. <laughs> so so the thing for me, when I was reading that report, my brain couldn't even process it was it like I thought Elon Musk sent the tweet. Uh, I said said the Slack message when I was reading the the platform report, but it was James Musk, and I my brain couldn't comprehend that there was another Musk. Like I've never heard of this guy James Musk. What's going on? I, 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 yeah, I, I'm basic. It, yeah. It's it's still the best drama, but it's also terrible. Anyway, let's move on to the mailbag, uh, where we or mostly you answer questions or thoughts from readers. Uh, and someone writes, um, okay, so the the question is, I'm flying to Australia in a few weeks and will be working and logging on regularly while there. I have a heavy laptop that I usually cart around, but I refuse to switch to Mac OS despite all the wonders of the M series chips and battery life. Uh, but I'm still looking at a better solution. So should I invest in some new tech to make life lighter and easier or just stick to my usual laptop and suffer? Uh, and I'll be honest, this is actually my question. This is me. <laughs> This is me telling the audience that I'm uh, that I'll be in Australia uh, in two weeks' time, and we'll we'll be podcasting from there. So let's see how it goes. Uh, I've got an old heavy PC laptop. I don't really want to use an Apple device, uh, even though I, I do love a MacBook. But um, 
do, what do you, what do you suggest? I, I'm interested in in uh, in what your interim solution might be for specifically for travel because carting around it, my old my old heavy laptop is a pain. Yeah, I don't I don't know. The problem is that there's like I try to con like I try to find any way to uh, have a reasonable alternative to an M1 MacBook Air, and there just is none. <laughs> like anything that you could buy on the Windows side that costs as much is just like qualitatively like uncomparable especially if you want to have some kind of portability like you could essentially buy like a surface go but like i don't know like it's like you can't yeah. even buy like a, a random ultrabook uh for the price of a uh, like a proper nice ultrabook for the price of a, an m1 air and you just don't get remotely as much battery life and and, and anything performance as the the m1 the the answer maybe is that the Nuvia chips are supposed to come out at the end of the year. Yes. So like yes. if if that ever ha happens <laughs> and if it's good and if the price is right and if you can wait until then, <laughs> then maybe that will be something isn't on the it, Windows side. Isn't this always the, the tech thing? Oh, the next generation's just on the horizon, so maybe I'll wait. And what? Like when Nuvia comes out, then I'll say, oh, but Nuvia 2 is where the big gains will be made. Yeah, the yeah, first yeah, one exactly. will, yeah. So, well, that's exactly why I just bought an M1 Air. Yeah. The thing yeah, is, yeah. they're so cheap. I just they're, can't... I really just don't like macOS. I actually used a, a macOS yeah, no, device I, for a long time, but... I kind of hate it. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I, I'm saying Windows is the best. It's just like Windows suits my, my flow just a little bit better, so... I know, I know. Uh, yeah, all right. Well, the the interim solution I was thinking of was the Chromebook. Um, Ooh. But I actually don't know how podcasting would go. Um uh, in terms of all the little setup bits and pieces, so I don't know. A little if bit risky. I don't know if it's viable. I yeah. mean, unless you can have host like different guests <laughs> on this podcast. A little bit risky, well, but, but yeah, I just don't yeah. think. I just I don't think a Chromebook can can answer my emails, can 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 get get into Chrome and, and sort out most of my problems. But yeah, some of the more difficult stuff is is where I just don't know about the limitations, and I'm not willing to, to yeah. bank on it. I suppose. Um, yeah, I would. I think it's a it's a custom enough workflow that we have. I know that we use the Insta360 cameras. Yep. And there is no Chromebook app for the Insta360 camera, so I don't know how you'd even do the recording. What do they do? They plug into a phone? Can I use it with with Android? Doesn't really make sense. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I would be surprised. Yeah. I don't know if you. I don't know if you can, you can like switch. On Android, if you can switch an input device for your camera, I'm sure you can, but it's like a whole thing. Oh, yeah. Well, um, it sounds a bit too complicated to be honest. Yeah. So I, I actually, my other solution, which I was going to say, is um, I would like to buy a Dell XPS with ah. the Intel 13th generation chip, ah. but they're stuck on the 12th for now, and I. Dell keeps making bad design decisions with their XPS, like getting rid of too many ports. Um, to get rid of the USB, the headphone jack, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the really big one. Now that's only on their sort of experimental uh, XPS thirteen, but yeah, I I I'm not dealing with it. Okay, I refuse. Yeah, I'm, I know, yeah, exactly. I, on a on a phone, I think it's okay, but like on a computer, dude, like literally, it makes zero sense. Also, there yeah. is space for a headphone jack. It's a like a, a ridiculously small component. It's and like ridiculous. I understand that completely. some people don't want the headphone jack. That's fine. It's fine. 
But like, uh, I really hope that this doesn't become like a mainstream trend because it makes no sense. No, like it doesn't make podcast, no sense. If I had to do this over wireless audio, I would just kill myself. <laughs> I would just not do a podcast if that was the option. No, no you, you would buy a USB-C to headphone jack dongle and it would be no, no, very I just, stupid. No, I just refuse. <laughs> <laughs> there is space in the device for a headphone jack. The end. <laughs> Noted. Very good. Uh, okay, and we end this podcast uh, with our usual trivia slash fact corner. Uh, this is where I throw a number at you, Martin, and we see where the conversation goes. I've got another percentage this time, but this time I, I, I won't make you guess. Um, the number is 46%, and that is the average amount of developer code that GitHub says GitHub Copilot is behind across all programming languages. That seems like a really high number, um, and it's up from 27% in June. Um, Wait, 46% of code that went on the platform? Yes, it's the the wording is slightly tricky, um, but it does seem like it, basically GitHub says GitHub Copilot was behind. So I think hmm. I think very specifically it's saying this means someone was working with with Copilot on as they were building code, and you know I, I don't I don't think they can say this code this code was Copilot versus this code was handwritten, but like you know people who were uh-huh. working working intent, which is like assisted by Copilot or exactly whatever. exactly. So we're nearly up, huh. nearly up to fifty percent. Apparently, it's higher in Java. Um, I, I look. I mean, I'll just come out and say this. It kind of seems right. It kind of seems like the right kind of AI. It kind of seems it doesn't have weird thoughts or feelings that you have to engage with. Yeah. That, that we're seeing emerge out of uh, Bing at the moment. It just fixes syntax, <laughs> so you don't have to. It helps with your you know startling routines. It, it can help. It's like you Clippy. Keep... It's like a better Clippy <laughs> for your code. Right. Except for Bing, who is like a like his existential teen that you can chat with and like have a life crisis over. Yeah, yeah, we've seen some really amazing stuff. I, I, we would talk about that, but we actually have to get hands on ourselves with uh, with yeah. Bing. And so, yeah. and I saw Microsoft today is actually, uh, li- so what it was saying was, if you talk to it for too long, it'll eventually hallucinate. And yeah. so <laughs> if we go if we go for too long, it'll just eventually just like turn completely nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they've actually put a limit on the sort of amount of conversation you can have. Yeah. Um, that that's just in the last day or so. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then you have to you have to refresh and then start from scratch again, or uh, no, no. Oh, well, it does say the conversation's ended. I saw that screenshot. It was like, I'm sorry, yeah. I can't answer you anymore. So, uh, but <laughs> it seems like that's only happening with people who are kind of like you know, cracking it open with a screwdriver. Yeah, to try yeah, to. yeah. Um, and it's I don't know. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to think back in you know if you if we go forward a decade, you'll be like, I was on the forefront of trying to break AI <laughs> in its early yeah. days, and this is it what does- happened. This does feel like the new wave, no? Like, it, this does vaguely feel like, you know, whatever the smartphone was or whatever social media was or whatever X, Y, and Z was. I, I think you can tell that by how fast it, it changes, like how fast the companies are reacting and fixing problems and that kind of thing. That kind yeah. Of thing. No. yeah, and uh, Google's been talking about BARD this week as well. Um, so I think a few emails have gone out from uh, CEO Sundar Pichai saying, um, uh, test BARD, please. Here's, and give, even giving examples of like when you get a wrong answer or, or, or an answer that isn't quite um, what you would expect the general public to approve of, like how to write a better response in a neutral way that doesn't have emotions tied into it. Um, so yeah, these things are these things are under pressure. Um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, that's it from us. I think, Martin. 
Uh, we actually didn't see each other this week. Uh, I was avoiding you with my cold. I didn't want to give you that to the podcast. Um, Thanks for avoiding me. Yeah. So how are things? <laughs> things are fine. Uh, you're. I didn't see you. My girlfriend's abroad, so I'm just with the dog. Oh, maybe for like podcast listeners, uh, podcast viewers, I could uh, try showing. This is no, f- too too complicated. I'm in a, in a bit of a pillow fort. <laughs> yeah, I tried. I tried to move the webcam over there, but I think I'd I'd like unplug something. So and Fifi's about thirty kilograms to to like try and haul up in front of the camera. Yeah, a bit bit too heavy. Bit too heavy. <laughs> a good boy. Next though. time, next time I'll be prepared. You can see some uh, occasional Fifi updates uh, on Discord if you exactly. want to join. Uh, do you know how to do you know how to direct people to the Discord right now? I think if you just search for. Tech out our Discord, you'll find it. But maybe, you know what? I'll just put it in the description of the podcast. And yes. There'll be a link. Very good. Um, yeah, right. Well, as for me, I'm just getting ready for, for heading to Australia by not buying anything. Um, uh, yeah, got it just, just over a week before I'm, before I'm there. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. Excited to get there. I miss you. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. no, more, no more dinners at uh, our favorite Indian <laughs> place <laughs> next to the studio. Yeah, that's right. So um, uh, I'll be back for that. That's for sure. Not not yeah. saying it's right. All right. Well, that's it from us. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening and for watching, um, especially to those of you on Nebula. Um, thanks for your thoughts. And Martin, we can, we can check out at TechAltar and on the Friday checkout on YouTube and on Twitter and Mastodon at TechAltar. Uh, and I'm Tristan Rayner on Twitter. Um, yeah, thanks again for joining. Thanks to, for tuning in, and we'll catch you next Friday. Thank you. And if you are not a Nebula subscriber yet, uh, you can go to nebula.tv slash chillout and subscribe. This podcast is 100% supported by Nebula subscribers. So thanks for subscribing, and bye. Bye. bye.